Welcome to the Kill the Lion podcast. It's me, Cody Clark. We have a wonderful show for you today. Addison Binnick is here, and we are going to talk to him. He's the director of Psycho Ape. He's directed a bunch of fun cult movies, and he's become a bit of a cult filmmaker. Like, people throw that term around a lot, but he he's a real cult filmmaker. People adore him, and uh, we want to talk to him about how he made that possible. By the way, if you want to make these shows possible, $2 per month, killthelinefilms.com. It helps us make more movies. It helps us make more podcasts. And now, Addison Binnick. All right, Addison, good to have you on the show. Thanks for inviting me, man. All right, so the term cult filmmaker gets thrown around a lot, but it seems like you have a lot of people that really, really adore you. Where did this come from? It it seems like it takes you by surprise a little bit, too. You just did the... um the the Indiegogo for Psycho Ape Part Two. It's still going on right now. You got seventeen days left to give money. Uh, you've already raised eight thousand eight hundred and fifty dollars of your ten thousand dollar goal uh, in just a few short days. Really, um, are you are you floored? How are you feeling? Um, yeah, it's still a little hard to comprehend because uh, you know a lot of this stuff. I. I do a lot of promotion online, you know, social media is a tool, you know, that's the main tool that I use, you know, I use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. But, you know, in my daily life, my daily routine to, you know, pay for rent and pay for bills, it, it doesn't really come from filmmaking. It comes from just my day job of being a delivery driver, you know? So it's a little strange. It's a little weird when I, you know, log on to the internet and it's like, oh man, like, yeah, we've got $8,000 just in imaginary funds. You know what I mean? Like it will show up in my bank, but I'm not going to touch it for anything other than this movie. You know, I'm not going to pay my rent with it. I'm not going to pay bills with it. Um, so it's, it, it is weird that, uh, you know, all this money is coming in for Psycho Ape 2, that people believe in Psycho Ape 2. It's, it's just separate from like what I consider like, you know, my, my real life or my my day to day, you know, eventually I will take it to screenings and I will take it to conventions and I will submit it to festivals and stuff. And, um, you know, it's just that this kind of thing, I'm not rich off of doing this. It's just that, uh, I know a lot of people enjoy psycho ape and I do make some money from it with, you know, t-shirt sales and DVD sales and stuff. But, um, I still have to hustle and I still have to struggle doing this stuff. Well, I would say of all of us, you you've done the best as far as as cultivating a fan base and people that you know want to buy your movie and buy your shirts and all that. I know me and Greg. We every time I see him, I'm like, man, Addison is so good at this. Um, you've kind of like I don't know if you've intentionally cracked the code, but you you have a really good rhythm as far as like you know putting yourself out there, putting your movies out there, and it's it, obviously the proof is in the pudding. Like, man. $8,850 in a few short days. That's, that's, it's incredible. No, it is. Yeah. It, I know. I realize that it is. I, I, I don't really, I just, it's because with social media, you know, you can plug away at your thing however many times a day you want to. You know, I try not to be overwhelming about it, but, you know, I'm raising the funds right now. So I have to post a couple of times a day. I'm also, you know, in several different like horror movie groups and stuff like that. So I'll share the posts there. You know, Greg actually put the movie on Night Flight Plus. So I know that we got a lot of people 
who then backtracked or at least looked me up, you know, on IMDb or Googled me or something and added me on Facebook or started following me on Twitter. So because of like Greg putting on putting on Nightflight Plus, we did get some, you know, um, trickle down from that. And then it's been on Amazon Prime for a couple of years now. So that's kind of above me. That's above us. So, you know, I can attribute a lot of Psychoape's success to that. But also, you know, I do go to like Cinema Wasteland or Days of the Dead or Horror Hound and sell copies there. And I go to screenings in person whenever the movie is booked and I'll sell, you know, a dozen copies like after the screening and stuff. So I have to travel kind of like outside of my, you know, zone. Like I live in Michigan, but just this year alone, I've been to like Atlanta, Georgia at a Days of the Dead selling copies there. I've been to Ohio selling copies at Cinema Wasteland. I was in Wisconsin selling copies like at a screening. I've been to Illinois twice. So, you know, when you're ping-ponging around and you have all these screenings, you meet new people all the time. And, um, you know, I always tell people, you know, if you, if you like the movie, you know, follow me on social media. So they do. And so then now they're seeing that like, oh, a sequel is coming. And so they'll throw some money at that, you know. That's kind of what I, I guess, attribute it to is I, I go places, you know, I, I try to, you know, step out of my comfort zone and go to these screenings or book, you know, screenings that it's a 50-50 shot whether or not people will even show up or not. You know, I, I've played to a packed house and I've played to literally just the projectionist and, you know, those screenings suck, but I've done it. So I guess it's just... You have to just keep plugging away at it. Like even the brutal screenings where there's no one there, like those really do suck. But um, I know that that's just one bad one and maybe the next one will be better, you know? Um, And I also, because of social media, because of Facebook and stuff, just because I had that one bad screening in person, maybe like it's some random city somewhere, that doesn't mean that, it's an all around and overall failure because I know that like, Oh, there's still, you know, tons of people who like the movie, you know, you go on letterboxd and there's all these reviews. So it's just that, you know, I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm willing to risk it and, you know, gamble on cities where like the movie has never played or, you know, theaters that like, well, okay, they play like midnight movies or cult films They've never heard of Psychoway, but maybe they'll come out for this. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But it's all just I'm willing to do it because, like I said, during the day, I'm just a delivery driver. And, you know, I'd like to not be a delivery driver my whole life. And so in order to do that, I just have to keep pumping away at this. It's interesting because even though you're a delivery driver, um, you know, at least you're at least you're out there. And like, I'll see you post on on social media where somebody will like a T-shirt you're wearing of some horror movie and you'll just give them a copy of one of your movies. And I think that's that's a really great thing. I only yeah recently started to do that because there was a long stretch where like it's the winter and I don't go to a lot of screenings during the winter because traveling and during the winter sucks you know, and people don't come out to screenings or conventions when it's cold outside. So I kind of have to drum up some kind of interest when I'm not going to screenings or when I'm not going to conventions. So that's what I do is, you know, I'll pick up some Taco Bell or I'll pick up like a pizza from somewhere. And if someone's like, Hey, what horror movie is that? Or like, what is that? 
I'll tell them what it is. Like, oh, this is the Toxic Avenger. Like, you know, do you like cheesy, low-budget horror films? You know, if this seems like something that might be up your alley, hey, I make cheesy, low-budget horror films. Um, so I just – I look for that bridge. I look for that gap. And if anybody seems even remotely interested, I'll just go in the backseat of my car where I keep all my merchandise and I'll – I'll just give him a copy, you know, because I know that I'm probably going to be back around that Taco Bell or that Pizza Hut um, again, just maybe even like tomorrow even. So I'll I'll come back around and I'll ask, like, hey, did you watch it? What would you think? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, like I invited like some people over or, oh, yeah, I gave it to a friend of mine for them to watch, too. So I just sort of try to create my own interest, sort of just low key grassroots, you know. Um, that way also it makes it more fun for me when I'm delivery driving, when I show back up at that pizza hut, it's like, well now like we can talk about the movie or we can talk about like, well, what else do you like? You know, have you ever, have you ever seen this cheesy low budget horror film? Like that was my influence, you know? So I try to make friends with the people that, you know, work at these restaurants. So I'm not just some anonymous face picking up like tacos, you know? Yeah. And I think, uh, service industry people like, uh, you know, I've, I've worked in the service industry and my girlfriend, Chloe's worked in the service industry, uh, tend to be creative or kind of oddball types that, that like interesting movies, like, uh, stuff like that. So I think that's a great tip for anybody at home who may be a filmmaker themselves is like, you know, there's always an opportunity to get your stuff out there. If you, if you pound the pavement in some capacity, kind of like, uh, like you do Addison, um, you know, doors can open up for you and you can build that kind of fan base, which we're all trying to build. We all want to do this for our, uh, our, our actual, uh, uh, money making, you know, that's always the dream. That's, I, I don't want to like be in some weird studio system where I have no control. I just want to make money doing the things that I love. And that's, that should be everybody's goal is not to be, uh, grabbed and plucked from obscurity and placed into, some confining constraint, but you know, just if, if you can make money making the movies you love and have complete control, even if you're making it for a fraction of what you would in some studio system, that's, that's the way to live for sure. Yeah. Because I mean, it's just, we're, we're doing this on such a low scale, you know, there's very little money even involved in the productions that we make. And so, you know, what you're hoping for is to have something that then takes off and gets attention or gets you a little bit of money so that you can funnel it into the next thing. And then maybe the next thing will be a little bit bigger. It's, you know, it's cracking that cycle of this should feed into this. That's why CycleWave has so much merchandise is because it's become this thing that's bigger than Greg and I where you know there's t-shirts there's toys there's dvds and by selling all this stuff or vhs tapes now too through lunch meat vhs there may be these you know dozen or so hardcore psycho ape fans that now want to collect every single bit of psycho ape memorabilia um so that's why they're totally like excited about a sequel is because they they it's another thing to like add to their collection, you know, another psycho eight movie, like great. Cause then we can make more, or even like trading cards. Like, you know, I had trading cards that were created for me by this guy, Richard parks who like professionally makes trading cards. So 
I mean, that's that's all been very strange too, and something that I, I you know, I had I, I was not accustomed to that, and I wasn't really prepared for it either, because it was when Psycho Ape was first coming out. All of a sudden, people were offering like to create merchandise for me. And I just said yes to like just about everything. Like, oh yeah, you know, shirts, fine, cool. Oh, trading cards, like sure, neat. And then like once this actual physical merchandise showed up, it was like, oh crap, like this is crazy. I wasn't expecting this. You know, I'm a filmmaker. I just want to make the movie and put it on DVD or Blu-ray and get it out there. All that other stuff sort of just started like appearing. The toys, you know, it was because like this guy actually creates these cool little toys based off of movies and he was going to be at a screening that was being hosted by Severin Films where Severin was doing a double feature that they uh they were doing this movie Wild Beasts but they also booked Psycho Ape to go with it so I met this guy who created these toys there and so it just kind of we we linked up and I was like, well, can you make some bloody banana toys and clean banana toys? Like, let's let's make some variants. And so it's all just been kind of lucky, I guess, really. It's just coincidence and stuff. Um, some of this stuff I haven't really sought out, like the trading cars. I didn't seek them out. They were made for me. Um, and that's been very weird and very interesting and um hard almost hard to keep track of at certain points because there's just so much and then like lunch meat reached out and they wanted to do a run of 50 psychowave tapes so it's really just you know hustling your thing and making sure a lot of people know about it or see it because if you just keep hustling it people enough people will pay attention and especially if it's something that's like unique or weird because you got to stand out. There's a lot of people that just make these movies that go straight to Tubi, but like nobody really hears about them because the filmmaker isn't out there promoting the movie themselves. Like that's something else that's kind of different as well. I am like the face and the voice of my movies. And a lot of people, they will sell their films to a distributor or license their movies to a distributor. And like, that's the end of the road for them. Now you're just a wild-eyed releasing movie. Now you're just some anonymous film on Tubi or Amazon. Like a filmmaker has to go out there and, I mean, in my opinion, like do it themselves. You really have to sort of like you're you have to drive your film and you have to have a social media presence. And some people like just aren't comfortable with that. Some people don't know how to do it. And I've just sort of taught myself how to do it over time, you know, because I've been doing stuff for a couple of years now. And I also like used to do stuff with trauma. And that sort of taught me a lot about like self-promotion and advertisement is doing stuff with trauma because I would go to conventions with them and volunteer with them and sell my stuff with them. Um, so it's just kind of been taking what I've learned from that and applying it to PsychoApe. And that's kind of what you know, why Psycho Ape sort of blew up, I guess. It also reminds me a little bit of the Kevin Smith school of uh, promoting your films and getting it out there and kind of just uh, building a fan base where, you know, you are almost a cartoon character of yourself. You're the mascot for your own movies, which is a great way to do it. Is he somebody who's been an influence on your, on your career? Oh yeah. Since the beginning, man, like clerks, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, 
Mall Rats, Dogma. I, I had those movies on repeat when I was a teenager, you know, growing up, like you watch something like Clerks and you're like, I could do this. You know, like this seems very easy to do. All I need is like a funny script. And then with Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, it's like, that's one of the funniest, like meta, you know, parodies of Hollywood ever. And I just, I loved those two movies growing up. And then Clerks 2 came out and it was like, wow, you know, he's grown so much as as a filmmaker, plus he's willing to try something else too. And uh, yeah, Kevin Smith is definitely up there in terms of one of the most influential filmmakers like ever for me. Yeah, same here for sure. Especially the uh, the Evening with Kevin Smith DVDs, watching those growing up, those were just uh, so educational and just so fun and just made me think entirely differently on what a director or a filmmaker can be, that you can really be like an ambassador for something. You can really be out there with the people. And I do it to some small extent, but when I when I see how you're doing it, it kind of makes me realize like, wow, I could I could definitely be way more out there and and more uh, of a champion of the kind of stuff I'm making than, than I am. You know, I've had small versions of uh, cult success, like uh, Ramekin really took off uh, on, on Amazon, which is interesting because it was made for 500 bucks, but anybody who saw it on Amazon just kind of assumed it was, you know, a couple hundred thousand or whatever. So I have people who, for some reason, think like I, I spent a lot of money making that movie, or I had some studio that I, you know, pitched it to or something because they just see it on Amazon. They're just like, oh, it's like anything else on there. It's just so, so always so interesting because budget is so relative. Like it's you know you're you're raising looks like you're probably going to reach your ten thousand. Fingers crossed. Um, you're making a movie for ten thousand dollars, but anybody who likes it, it's priceless. You know, there's no amount of money that it, it costs or or whatever. The plus, they're not gonna think. Like, oh, I wonder how much money was spent on this. That's not usually where, like, people's brains go. Filmmakers, yes. Like, other filmmakers are going to ponder, you know, well, what did they spend on this? And what did they spend the money on? Like, that's a filmmaker thing. But uh, most audiences, they don't really think about that. And they don't really care. It's more, I think, if you're a fan of these kind of, like, really micro-budget indie movies, they just want to have a good time, you know? Like, they just want to be entertained, and that's really all they think about. They don't think about the money. Yeah, because, you know, the money, especially like if, if somebody likes something, they just assume a lot of money was spent. And if somebody doesn't like something, they're just like, oh, you must have had no money to make that. And it's it's totally not true. There's so many great movies uh, like Psycho Ape and like some of my stuff and, and a lot of people's stuff that are made for like literal peanuts and, you know, are just so much more fun than than movies that had you know like there's there's so many like weird like movies that'll come out that are made for like five million dollars that just disappear and nobody ever thinks about again and it's like man we that's like for us that's like a franchise that's a that's a everything yeah i mean i've gone to see movies in theaters and it's like these are those like fox search like indie pictures or something like that you know these these movies that a lot of money must have been spent on them, but they're very, you know, there's not much to them. Or you you watch them once and it's like, well, I'm not going to go buy the t-shirt for that. I'm not going to even buy this on DVD when it comes out. Um, but you know that, yeah, millions of dollars was probably spent on it for just some thing that is never going to be watched again, you know, especially not going to have a cult fan base. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's basically instant garbage. Or just yeah, just it's it's disposable. It's fluff. It's filler. It's something that you watch with some popcorn at the theater, and then you never think about it ever again. Yeah, I like movies that that get under your skin and get into your brain, and you will never stop thinking about. It. Even movies I don't like, like I I just want something that I'm going to take with me forever because I feel like I got my money's worth on it, even if I didn't like it. It's just like if I can constantly have that as a reference point in my head, whether it's positive or negative, it's like, wow, that's a part of me now. At least it left a mark on you. Like it left something, you know, something behind. Exactly. It's a, it can be an example of what to do or what not to do or something I like or something I don't like. I just, I, it becomes my reference point in, in some capacity. What I see a lot too with, when I, and I talk about this with like other filmmakers is where if a trend kicks off, then all of a sudden there's like 10 of those things that are like shark movies or Amityville movies or now like right now is like the drug animal movies. But a lot of times those movies are so um, you can tell what they are. They are like bandwagon films. They're not going to have anything um, to them. They're going to that's their cash grabs. And that that kind of stuff doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. But I see it working for some people, you know, like they might make a bunch of money up front. But then in a year or two's time, those movies will be entirely forgotten because that trend will be over. Yeah, it's that's one of the most depressing aspects to me of low budget filmmaking is the kind of charlatan filmmakers, which that's what I call them. I'm not saying you're calling them, but I'll I'll outright call it. Yeah, I'm saying they're trend, you know, they, they follow trends. And yeah, I don't like it either. You know, I just it's very lazy and it's very just kind of. Yeah, you might make a bunch of money right now. Like you might raise $10,000 in an Indiegogo or a Kickstarter right now. But then in a year or two, when Cocaine Bear is way out of like the zeitgeist of film, because I mean, the movie came out in February and it's already on DVD and Blu-ray. Like no one talks about it anymore because it's gone. It's done. It's over. But like right now we're getting like Cocaine Cougar and Cocaine Shark and it's like, the trend is already over. It's done. Like no one cares about this anymore. Yeah. With those movies, it seems like they're, they're selling a, a piece of DVD art basically. Like, cause when I, when I was doing research for no shark, I watched a ton of these, these really bad uh, shark movies. And, you know, I went in with an open mind. I just wanted to know what was out there. I felt like I needed to become somewhat of an expert in what I was attempting to do, even if I was going in a different direction. But like you'd buy like these movies and the DVD cover looks great. A lot of these come out of Wild Eye or, or wherever else. DVD cover is spectacular because everybody has Photoshop and most people know what they're doing. And then you pop in the movie and it's just total Z grade, like not even Z grade in a fun way, just Z grade in an obligatory way. It's like, let's get to the 70 minute mark and who cares how we get there. You know, it's just it, it's a shame because low budget film can be so passionate. And when you see movies that don't have that passion, that are basically, they're trying to sell you a lemon. They're trying to sell you like a piece of like, yeah, it's a product. It's all it is. It's something that will end up in a Walmart bin that somebody will buy for like a couple bucks. And it's something that like, yeah, it's, it'll be instantly forgettable and adds nothing to anything. Really? I mean, 
Um, I mean, I'm a sucker for these Z-grade shark movies myself. I mean, I will buy the newest thing. Like, I, I'm, maybe I'm part of the problem. But um, it's not because I really, like, enjoy these films individually for, like, any particular reason. It's just, like, you know, I, I see them as, like, riffing content for the future, maybe, or, you know, just stupid entertainment at 2 a.m. or something like that. But there's nothing to them, you know? Like, they don't they don't really matter, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, there's, like, one or two, like, every couple years, there'll be, like, one that's, like, actually pretty enjoyable in an odd way. Like, I liked, uh, I liked Alien Shark. I don't know if you saw that one yet. No, that one, that one I really liked because it did, it did things within it that were just so bizarre that like they had to be passionate. Like you couldn't, you couldn't be that bizarre and lazy. Like it was, it was bizarre in a let's entertain ourselves while we're making this kind of obligatory movie. So I liked that one, but like for every one of those, there's 10 others that are just like, there's just no passion whatsoever. Yeah, they they these things are created just to get dumped onto some streaming site or for another thing for, you know, Wild Eyes catalog. Well, that's that's what's going on right now is I mean, just the other day I I, I ordered some crappy shark movies and um I know exactly what I'm ordering, you know, it's like Jurassic Shark three, it's Puppet Shark. Did you get Doll Shark? Yeah, that was that was the other one, Doll Shark. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's not because I think they're going to be any good. It's just riffing fodder for later. You know, like that's really all it is. And I'm always curious. Like, I always want to be surprised. I always want to be going in like, all right, let's let's try. Let's let's see uh, if this is going to be anything. You know, I try not to have any preconceived notions when I put on a film because I, I don't think it does anybody any good. So there are some good ones out there. I'm actually like I'm I'm hoping Puppet Shark is good and I'm hoping Doll Shark is good because you never know. You never know. Puppet Shark seems like it could be interesting at the very least considering the entire movie is done with like felt puppets, you know, like Sesame Street. Exactly. So that seems like okay, in order to do that, I mean, that's a complicated production. It's not just like let's get some people on a boat and throw in some like CGI sharks. It's no, they had to like create these puppets. You know, that that takes effort and that takes passion. So, we'll see. It would be very very hard to do a passionless puppet movie. I would think so. Yeah, I mean, it's so much work that you just would have to love it. You can't just, yeah, sleepwalk your way through a movie with puppets, you know? It's it takes a little bit of effort to do something like that, you know, and hopefully it pays off. So I think part of your appeal, by the way, is you watch Psycho Ape and there's no way this isn't a passionate project and there's no way this isn't stuff that makes the filmmakers genuinely laugh and and all that. I think that's that's all people ask really when they put on a movie is like, I want to know that the people that made this liked it, like, you know, and and that's that's the case with Psycho Ape where like there's just no way in hell the type of jokes that are in there aren't entertaining and tickling you and Greg and Kansas and Bill. And people just want to be a part of that party. They just want to get the joke and they want to, you know, laugh their way into the conversation and all that. And I, I think it's one of the most entertaining uh, movies of that type that I've seen in the last 10 or 20 years. So I'm I'm definitely excited for the second one. I'm also not just saying that because I'm in Psycho Ape for like two seconds, but uh <laughs> 
it's a it's a it's a really good movie and it's also how i met bill whedon and i i owe that to you uh because i i came on set and i i met bill who i kind of knew um in like a like i knew of him but i'd never really properly met him um and then he ended up uh being in ramekin 2 and 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 no shark and he's just a pleasure him and dolores are just the best and uh you know let, let let's talk a little bit about bill whedon how did he kind of come on your radar and be somebody that you were interested in for psycho Ape? i've been a trauma fan you know basically my whole life so i've always known of bill because of the movie sergeant kabuki man nypd you know he plays the lead villain in that movie and there was going to be a screening of the film in New York in like April or May of 2019. And I was also flown in as a guest because my first episode of Tremasterpiece Theater, which is like mystery science theater meets trauma, was booked as a double bill with Sergeant Kabuki Man. So Bill and I were the guests of honor for this particular screening, and that was the first time I was ever meeting Bill. But we hit it off really well. They showed Kabuki Man, I think first, I don't remember now, but then they showed Tremasterpiece, and throughout the movie, well, throughout Tremasterpiece, Bill would get up and leave and come back and get up and leave and come back. And so I, I, I thought maybe he wasn't into it, like the whole like riffing thing wasn't his vibe, or he didn't necessarily even find our jokes that funny uh because we were ripping the movie the battle of love's return which is lloyd kaufman's first movie he ever made in 1971 when he was 25 so this is like a full you know 15 years before trauma was even a thing uh so it's a particularly bad movie and lloyd would be the first to admit it so he let us do that for his, for our first episode of Tremasterpiece Theater. We tried our best. You know, it was a tough movie to riff, and we just went with it and did what we could. And so I thought maybe Bill wasn't into it. He didn't think it was funny. And so I go out in the lobby after the movie, and he said that he did like it. He thought our ripping was funny, but he just couldn't tolerate the movie for that long. Um, him even knowing Lloyd and having worked with Lloyd a couple of times in different movies, um, he – he couldn't stand the battle of love's return. And so I, you know, I, it was a sigh of relief that it wasn't us that was like, you know, turning him off or anything like our, it wasn't our ripping that was bad. It was just the battle of love's return, you know, to the average movie watcher is a tough sit even with riffs. But so he told me that, you know, he still liked the riffing. And if there was anything in the future that he could have a cameo in, like if we're going to be back in the New York area later, uh, he would be very interested in participating in it. So I told him, like, well, you know, we're, we're writing right now Psycho Wave. And I explained to him what it was. Killer Gorilla escapes from the zoo. It's kind of like Halloween. And we have a big climax at the end that's going to take place in Times Square. But that's all we had, really. And so I fly back home to Michigan. I tell Greg that, like, well, I met Bill Whedon. And he said that he'd be down for a cameo if we go back to New York and like, you know, hit him up. And so Greg suggested that we cast him as our psychiatrist character. Like, I don't even know if we had a name yet. Like, I don't know if he was Dr. Zumas yet, but um, he suggested we cast him just as that Dr. Loomis type psychiatrist character. And so I called up Bill and offered him the role and he took it. So uh, we were kind of off and running from there. And like with Bill on board now, 
now we could sort of make it a little bit zanier and a little bit weirder and sort of build the character around Bill and, you know, knowing what we knew about him and the fact that, you know, he is down to basically do just about anything on camera that you ask, you know, he's a very open person and he's, he loves to improvise. And he even wrote that rap, like the rap that he has in the movie in the beginning, like he wrote that that's his. Yeah. He's, he's, he's above and beyond one of my favorite people that I've ever worked with. And, uh, you know, I, I, I heard he's, he was kind of like pushing for psycho ape two for a while. Yeah, he wanted to do it almost as soon as the first one was out. But I mean, you can't really do a sequel to something immediately, in my opinion. You have to wait like two years or five years or however long. You have to let the fan base grow because if you make a sequel to something immediately, all you're making a sequel, the only people you're making that sequel for are for the people who like backed the first movie and are now receiving copies of it. You have to let other people find the movie, and that's not going to happen overnight. You have to let it sort of gestate. You have to do what I've been doing and promote the shit out of it and go to conventions and go to screenings and sell copies. Because initially, we had, I don't know, 200 people or so for the first Kickstarter. And it's like, okay, well, let's wait until we have like you know, 600 or a thousand people who know about psycho ape, then let's do a part two. Like don't do it immediately because the audience isn't there yet. And so, yeah, he wanted to do it immediately. And I just, I wasn't interested in doing it that soon. Well, I, and many, many people can't wait for the sequel. Um, I think it's going to be wonderful. I think it's going to be even better than the first as, as some sequels are, I think it's going to be even better than the first. All right. So we have a new segment that's on the show as of the last episode, which is I used to work at a video store for many, many years. So one of the things that I used to do at a video store is I would prescribe movies to people that came in and they just described some vague thing that they wanted out of a movie. And I would, I would find the movie for them. It's going to be a little bit harder with you because you've seen a ton of movies, much like I have. But let's let's play that. What are you in the mood for right now? Uh, what what are you feeling? Let's say you got you probably just got off of your shift, and you know you maybe you're a little tired. What are you looking for right now? Uh, let's see. I guess I mean my typical go to really is just something that's fun, something that's funny, something that doesn't take itself seriously. And all it really wants to do is just entertain me. Something that's maybe even like an hour and change, you know, 70 minutes, 80 minutes, something that doesn't go on for too long, you know, doesn't outstay its welcome. Uh, maybe something with horror elements to it. Not, not scary, but, uh, you know, lo- low budget, cheap gore and um, if it's that kind, if it's this kind of movie, you know, maybe, maybe like some occasional, like gratuitous nudity, just in there for fun. Um, you know, like that's kind of my thing. All right. So I have something for you. I, I kind of prepared you it in advance because I kind of figured you'd probably ask for something like that. It's called Deadly Discovery. It's from 1992. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Are you? No, no, not at all. All right, so that's a movie that was made by, you know, kind of a bunch of nobodies, you know, nobody you would ever know the name of, at least. 
Um, and they made it in, I believe, I'm checking right now. Yeah, they made it in Greensburg, Indiana. It's I think it's the only film that's ever been shot in Greensburg, Indiana, which is like a town of about 10,000 people. The way that I found this movie, I think I just stumbled upon it at like book off one day and grabbed it. But I went on Amazon to see, you know, what what it was like, because like if I'm browsing in the store and I've never heard something, I'll just see on Amazon like what the reviews are like. There's this great Amazon review of it that calls it an unintentional comedy classic. And it's written by somebody from Greensburg, Indiana. And it's just talking about how like they basically know everybody, you know, relatives that were in this movie. And they're just they're talking about it in this very personal way. And um, I agree, it is an unintentional comedy classic. It is prime for riffing. It's basically, it's it's one of those movies where like a cop is involved in some uh, shooting and is forced by the force to like take a vacation. And then they, you know, he goes back to a small town and then he he discovers like all these bad things that are going on in the small town that he has to help with. And that's the deadly discovery, basically, as he goes back home to a small town and finds uh, crime that he needs to take care of in like a vigilante way or something. I I love this movie. It to me, it's the movie that Mystery Science Theater forgot and somehow missed because it is the exact pace of like a great classic Mystery Science Theater movie where you can just hear the riffs in your head as you're watching it. So I think it would appeal to you in that regard. So I highly recommend Deadly Discovery. There is gratuitous nudity. You will never be scared in the movie. So it doesn't have a horror element, but I think it appeals to uh, your sensibilities in other ways for sure. So Deadly Discovery from 1992. That is my uh, my prescription for you on this evening. All right. I'm actually in the process of plugging it into IMDb so that I don't forget it. And I'd like to just look it up a little bit and get an idea of what it is because I've never heard of it before. And it must have been just straight to video, you know, if. Uh, oh, very much so. Very much so. Yeah. Yes, I, uh, I I endorse it. It it is a lot of fun. Usually, these kind of movies you throw them on, and like everybody's just kind of like, get this off. Like, what is this? But it is a fun movie in that you 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 start yelling at it and you start making fun of it if you're watching it with friends, and it works in that regard for sure. So, Deadly Discovery, 1992. All right, our next segment. If you've if you've heard the show before, you know what's coming. It's stupid questions time. Can I ask you some stupid questions, Addison? Sure. All right. First stupid question. All right. So when you were a kid, did your parents uh, ever say to you, "Hey, Addison, if you don't clean up your room, I'm going to subtract the sun"? <laughs> no, can't say that they did. No. Okay. That's the first stupid question. Okay. All right. Second stupid question. What type of vacuum cleaner did Addison get for his birthday? I never got a vacuum cleaner for my birthday. A Dyson. (laughs) Okay. Addison got a Dyson for his birthday. That's the vacuum cleaner he got. All right. Next stupid question. What's the best ape movie? Like personal preference or? uh, Personal preference. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just got to give it to the original King Kong. I do too. I do too. Can't beat it, man. That stop motion better than any CGI that peter jackson thought he could do i don't know there's there's more ape in psycho ape than i think like all of peter jackson's three hours of that king kong remake it's just ridiculous 
I will give him some credit in that I really like the T-Rex fight. I mean, that's fun. It's just, it's still not better than like a claymation King Kong fighting a claymation T-Rex and shoving a tree in its mouth. You know, like that's one of the coolest fight scenes of like any monster movie you know like i remember watching that as a kid and just being astonished at what i was looking at you know like how do they do this like this is awesome and and then i remember seeing like peter jackson's version and i I think the director's cut it's like 90 minutes before king kong even shows up like that's almost the entire length of the original movie like that's that's ridiculous yeah that that t-rex fight in the original is still brutal even if it's claymation, it's it's so brutal a fight. Yeah, because I mean, they even ha- they have he breaks the T Rex's jaw and like blood trickles from its you know mandibles, and to have someone animate like blood trickling in a movie in 1933, it's kind of insane. Yeah, it's a uh, it, it's one of those movies too. By the way, if you if you've never seen it big, if you've never seen it on a big screen. No, I, I've never had the pleasure. Oh my god. You I, I thought I loved it before. When I when I saw it on a big screen and you look up at it, you realize like, oh, this is a movie you you're you're meant to look up at. Like it's every every bit of framing in that film to look up at it, especially the you know, the opening titles. Oh man, is it gorgeous. I bet. I mean I I'm I'm sure the close ups of King Kong, like when he's first coming out of the jungle and it's a close-up of like that face, you know, emerging from behind these trees about to grab Fay Ray. I'm sure, I'm sure that looks awesome. All right, next stupid question. What's the worst ape movie you've ever seen? Because I know you probably did a bunch of research before you did Psycho Ape. That's, that's kind of a tough one because it's a toss-up between like, we watched the movie Going Bananas with, to- with Dom DeLuise as like something to watch, something stupid to pluck from for Psycho Ape. So it's like that. Or maybe like Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes is pretty awful. I had never seen it before. And like the only reason I watched it was like for homework for Psycho Ape. And I hated it. I thought it was so bad. We watched Kinky Kong, which I'm sure you can figure out what that is. That sucks too. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of really crappy ape movies out there. We watched most of them in preparation for Psycho Ape. And so this time around, we're not doing that at all. I mean, we wrote the scripts, and it's a very loose you know, outline for um, the sequel, but we're doing parodies of part twos, so we don't really need to watch any like crappy ape movies now in advance. It's more just like, what do you remember about the most famous part twos? You know, that's what we're drawing from now. Like, it's not quite the same writing style as the first one, but that's something that I'm actually kind of looking forward to more. It's just like, well, how can we, you know, on a budget of $10,000, how can we do our best Dark Knight parody or our best Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 parody. So it's a little bit different. But for Psycho Ape 1, we definitely mined, you know, tons of crappy ape movies. There's a lot out there. Did you ever watch the MVP movies? No, we didn't do that. We were doing more just like, not just crappy ones, though. We were doing like the original Mighty Joe Young and then like the one from 1998 with uh, Charlize Theron. Like 
none of us had ever seen it before. And so we were just kind of checking off boxes. I'm surprised Greg didn't make you watch MVP because it's a hockey playing monkey. I mean, that's uh, that's right up Greg's alley. Yeah, but I think the ones we were trying to watch had more like cultural significance to them. You know what I mean? Like Mighty Joe Young. And um, Are you doubting the cultural significance of MVP? <laughs> no, no. I guess more if you were to make a reference to something as we do in Psycho Weep, we kind of wanted people to get the reference, you know, like if we made references to MVP, I don't think our audience would have caught them. I would, I would have went wild for that. I mean, we did have the moment in the movie where like Nancy banana is rattling off a bunch of famous apes and there's even some names or a bunch of famous monkeys. And there's even some names in there that I didn't know um, that like, Bill was suggesting that we just kind of used to create a large list. So, I mean, there are references to certain things that like, even I don't get, you know, it's fine. You know, there's in a movie full of references to both obscure films and famous films and all kinds of monkey stuff. You know, it was just kind of a throw it all in there and see what sticks. But MVP did not make the cut. All right. Well, Addison, Great talking to you. Thank you for uh, coming on the show. And if you are listening at home, you want to you wanna see Psycho 8 Part 2, and you haven't donated yet, go over there on the Indiegogo. Find Addison on, on social media and uh, give a little money so they can make the biggest ape sequel possible. Thank you, man. All right. Take care, man. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you all for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, $2 per month at killthelinefilms.com. That's how you can support us. More podcasts, more movies. That's the best way for it to happen. Thank you all for listening. See you soon.